hearts, Lord, that we would just bask in your presence, that we would stay here for a moment, Lord, just allow you to, to continue to wash over us, uh, that we would take all of our cares, all of our burdens, all of our concerns, anything that we have directly to your throne of grace. Father, that when we're in your presence, our problems seem to be minimized. When we focus on you, get our eyes off of ourselves. it changes our perspective. God, give us a, your perspective, not our perspective. Faith is not based on what we see, but on the unseen, of knowing and having confidence in you. Lord, I pray this morning that you would open our spiritual eyes to see you with greater clarity, see you for the loving, gracious Father that you are that you would open our ears to hear your small, still voice speaking to our hearts, oh, Father. Speak to our hearts today. And, Lord God, that you would open our hearts to receive everything that you have for us this morning, that we would walk away changed because we've encountered you and you've touched our heart and you've ministered to us and you've brought the things that we need, peace, strength, joy, encouragement, hope, love, whatever that looks like for each of us, Lord. So we pray with expectation that we will walk away change this morning. And we pray all this in the almighty and the all-powerful name of Jesus, who is a name above all names, the Lord of lords, the King of kings, who has all authority in heaven and on earth. So we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for joining us. Warrior youth, you guys are dismissed. Ambassadors and warriors, head on back to your classes. I'd like to thank Jason uh, for a great service, a great sermon last week. We give him a hand. He, he did a great job on teaching on a difficult subject. If you missed last week, uh, I encourage you to go back to the website, lifefellowship.me, and check that out. He taught on submission and authority. And that's a tough subject to teach on, but it's a very, very, very important principle in the Bible that we need to learn. And it's life-changing. I've shared with you before that when I began to learn this principle and implement this principle of submission and authority, when I began to submit to my boss with a proper attitude, okay, uh, God began to do something in me, and, and he began to elevate me at work because my heart was right. And it's a biblical principle because, you know, when we take the things of God and apply them to our lives, it works. And this is not a, you know, uh, seven steps to whatever fill in the blank. It's about just implementing the word of God in our in our hearts and our lives. And when I begin to submit to my pastor the way that I would want to be uh, served, or not necessarily served, but helped in ministry, when I begin to submit to the authorities over me, God began to promote me. And what I realized is is that as I submitted to my boss at work, it helped me at work, but it also helped me in church and serving in ministry. And as I submitted to my pastor or those authorities over me in church, it began to help me in my job. And so, you know, a lot of us, I believe, think that our lives are compartmentalized. And this is my work life. This is my church life. This is my, you know what? It's all one. Our life is our life. Everything blends into everything else. And so as we learn the principles of God, as we learn the truths of God and apply those across our life, it changes us. It does something in us. And God honors that, and God blesses that. I want to thank you, Jason. That was a great sermon, and it was a very, it's a very important principle that we all need to learn.
took me a while to learn that, and I'm still learning, I guess. It's really, really important because it will help you. I promise you the things that we're teaching you, the principles of God will help you in your daily life, not just in church, but at work, in your neighborhood, in your marriage, all of those kinds of things. This morning, we're going to be starting a new series. It's called Prayer, Purpose, and Passion. Let's go to Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, and we will be going to Ephesians chapter 6 as well. Let's recite our mission statement in Life Fellowship. If you know it, would you recite it with me? Life Fellowship's mission is to develop, maintain, and model personal intimacy with Jesus Christ. So this is not something that we just say, or it's not something that's just written on some of our media. It's, it's truly the heart of what God has called us to do. And one of the greatest ways to develop, maintain, and model a personal relationship with Christ is through prayer. That's what I'm going to be talking about today specifically and through this series. Spending time in prayer builds us up and it develops our relationship with our Heavenly Father because we're spending time and prayer is not necessarily just a lottery list of the things that we want or the things that we need, but it's also taking time to hear back from the Lord and listen to Him and allow Him to speak to us because many times, probably most times, God's perspective is different than ours. And so as we begin to hear his voice and get direction from the Lord on how to handle things or, or what to do, it's usually better than what we would come up with on our own. I speak from many years of experience. So spending time builds us up and it develops our relationship so we get more comfortable in hearing that small, still voice, the Holy Spirit speaking to our lives, speaking to our hearts. Jesus taught his disciples how to pray with the example of the Lord's Prayer in Luke 11, 1 through 11, and Matthew chapter 6, 9 through 13. And we're going to be going to Matthew chapter 6. I want to put a plug in for Bible study. We talked about this passage of Scripture recently at Bible study on Wednesdays. If Life Fellowship is your home, let me be very bold. You need to be coming on Wednesdays because it's about equipping us to be filled with the things of God and then be able to share that with others. It's good stuff. I don't really know what Pastor Christine is teaching on Wednesdays, but it's amazing how the things that I teach on Sunday and the things she teaches on Wednesday mesh together. And only the Spirit of God can do that. Um, but anyway, I want to encourage you to come on Wednesdays at 7 to 7.45. We have child care available for you too. So Let's go to Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. And I'm going to read in the the King James Version, we normally, I normally teach out of the New Living Translation, but the Lord's Prayer is something that many of us have memorized, and I think most of us have memorized it in the King James or the New King James. So that's why, primarily why I'm using this, and this is even a little different maybe than what you memorize the Lord's Prayer. And, but I want to read, let's read through the Lord's Prayer, and you can actually pray that if you want. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Jesus was teaching them in, in some respects what to pray but also how to pray. He's saying, listen, use this as a template and I don't know how many dozens or hundreds of times I've prayed that prayer. And if you pray that prayer, it's not bad. But what Jesus is teaching his disciples is really to learn how to pray. And it's all about connecting with the Heavenly Father. That's really what prayer is about. It's just communicating with God. 
And Jesus begins by demonstrating, giving honor to God the Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. God is set apart as holy or hallowed. He goes on to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is praying for God's sovereignty and, and reign to rule on earth as it is in heaven. He rules over heaven, but he's, he's establishing the kingdom of God here on earth through us. As ambassadors of Christ, and that's what the Bible calls us, we are his representatives. We are the residents of God's kingdom. And so if an ambassador is someone that goes to another country or another kingdom and he, represent, he or she represents that nation or that country that's sending him. So we are representatives of God's kingdom. It would only make sense that if we're representing him as our king, that we would have a relationship with him, that we would spend time in prayer with him, that we would know his heart, that we would be able to implement and live out as residents of God's kingdom here on earth. We can walk in the blessings, the protection, favor, authority, everything allocated to us through God. God is establishing his kingdom, God's kingdom here on earth through us. And so we have the authority. If you look at an ambassador, they've been given authority. You have authority. Are you walking in the authority of God? Are you walking in the dunamis, dynamite, supernatural, miraculous power of God? Because Jesus said, I go that the Holy Spirit may come and lead you and guide you into all truth. So we have the Holy Spirit living in us to guide us and lead us. And so one of the ways that we connect is, is just by spending quiet time. Just spending quiet time with the Lord and saying, God, what is it that you have for me today? Times when I'll spend hours just before the Lord, just in worship, quiet time. Have you ever had a relationship with someone where you're confident and you're secure in your relationship? You don't have to be talking all the time. You can just be there with one another. You probably experienced that when you first fell in love with your, your spouse. or uh, you know, You guys would just spend time together. You wouldn't have to be talking. And so a lot of times we can come before the Lord and just spend time in his presence. I did that last night. I was up here praying for this morning. And the presence of the Lord was so sweet. It was just you can feel his presence pouring down upon us. But we have to develop that relationship. We have to spend time with him. So we can walk in the things that God has already allocated to us. So we need to be walking in those things. So Jesus goes on to, to teach that we are to pray for God's will to be done on earth. As we seek the Lord, we can say, God, what do you want to do through my life? How do you want me to handle this situation? How do you want me to minister to this person? Who do I need to be praying for today? And just, you know, it's not a, a, a religious exercise. It's just simply a relationship. A prayer does that. Prayer helps to develop and maintain and connect us to God in a powerful way. So Jesus is saying that God's will be done on earth, for God's will to be done in and through your life and my life. That's what he's saying. And he told his disciples, I pray that you will know the heavenly Father and be connected to him like I am. And I pray that those who hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago that are sitting at Life Fellowship Church in Kima, Texas, will know the Father like I do and like I want you to. Because I want you to have that kind of authentic, transparent, honest connection with God. 
that you know him, that you hear his small, still voice speaking to your hearts, that we would be infused with the love of Christ to be a demonstration to the world. What did Jesus say? They'll know that you're my disciples by the love that you have for one another. And I know when we see one another at church, we greet one another. When you see one another at, at the restaurant or, or the grocery store or whatever, there's an authentic love there. That love doesn't just happen, but it's because we build relationships together. We spend time together, and God bonds us together. And so when, when we see one another at the grocery store, hey, man, how you doing? And give one another a hug. It's a demonstration to the world of what true love can look like. What a true relationship, a godly relationship can look like. And it starts with having God fill us with love. And then that goes out to others around us. Jesus is saying, I I pray that God's will be done on earth. And I think one of the things that certainly Christ came to do was to, to die on the cross for all of us, to forgive us for all of our sins, not just us that have accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior and been forgiven of our sins, but for everyone, for all of humanity, those that are out there that are looking for something, they are looking for the truth, they're looking for the love of God. They're dragging behind them a a whole truckload of guilt and shame or whatever that may look like. And Jesus said, listen, I came to set you free. I came to take all that on, that you would receive forgiveness that you would walk in the fullness of life. That we would be infused with the love of God and, and allow him to transform our life. God's desire is for us to have an intimate relationship with him. That we would fulfill the great calling that God has called us to. God has a purpose and plan for every one of us. But if we don't know that purpose, if we don't know that plan, if we're not connected to the source of life, we can get derailed. And I know probably most of us have been derailed at some point in time. So God's desire is that we have an intimate relationship with him and fulfill the plan that he created us for. Jesus is saying that we should pray for our daily needs as well. When we pray for our daily provision... Our needs go well beyond just the light bill, having money to pay the light bill. We may need strength for the challenges ahead. We may need peace. We may need joy. We may need some money for the light bill. But whatever those things look like, a lot of times I think when we pray, it's just simply for those kinds of things. Lord, I need help. I need some money or I need this. We can also receive God's favor and blessing, peace, strength, encouragement, all of those kinds of things. When we pray for our daily needs, we're also acknowledging that he is our provider. God is able to provide for us in ways that we are unable to do anything about. And I know many of us have experienced that when we pray. Because, God, I'm in a jam. I cannot extricate myself from this. I cannot help myself. There's nothing I can do. And then we can see God show up on the scene. I was talking with with somebody that goes to church here last week, and they were talking about how they had a concern, and and they were praying, and, and like right then, God answered their prayer faster than a speeding bullet. God can show up. God can do things for us that we cannot do for ourselves. God may use your employer to provide your paycheck. However, he is our provider, providing our employer with their resources. I've shared with you guys numerous times about how 
I was working in a place as a temporary employee. There was one position open, and then a hiring freeze was coming up, and they hired someone else. And I began to go out and praise God at that time when I found out. And because I was thanking him, because I'd been praying for that job, I said, God, I really want this job, but I'm willing to yield and submit to whatever you have for me. And if I don't get this job, well, then you've answered my prayer very definitively. And I need that sometimes. I need that, you know, okay, I need that door to close because, you know, make it very clear to me, God. And at that very hour, um, around that very same time that I was out giving thanks to God, the site director said, I want to create another position. I'm going to put my head out on the chopping block here. We're creating another position, and we're going to hire Mark. And what I found was that the position that I was hoping to get was in one division, and the job that was created was in another division. It was the shining star of the company. You know, I could not have orchestrated that. One, I didn't have the power and authority. But those are the kinds of things that God will do. And when I look back, I see how that God has orchestrated my life. And through that, that job... And through that position, they transferred, when they closed the technical center down in Corpus Christi, they transferred, you know, 30 or 40 people up here, probably in my position, probably uh, half a dozen to a dozen. And because God had orchestrated 20 years before and placed me in, in that division and in that place, I ended up here. And through another series of events, I'm standing here today. <laughs> So you see, when we begin to yield our life to God, when we begin to trust him, we, we don't always see the end product, or we don't always see the end of what God's doing, but he, it started way back here. And it really, really, really helps if we will yield our life to God and say, God, I give you permission to guide my life because God's plans for you are great and wonderful. He wants you to walk in the blessings and the favor of God. And sometimes he will take us through challenges because he's stripping stuff off of us that needs to come off. Can you imagine trying to run a race or a marathon in an armored suit? And so sometimes that's how we are. We're walled off to God. And it's like we're trying to run a marathon in an armored suit. And God's like, take some of that stuff off. Come on. And so as we yield our life to God, God begins to transform the way we think. Romans 12, 2, trans, we're transformed by the way that we think by coming into alignment with God's word. And so God begins to remove some of the hindrances and the things that, that keep us from walking in the fullness of life that he created us for. Breaking down those walls that we've suffered from rejection or hurt or pain or, you know, whatever that looks like. I love uh, this song, Fire Fall Down, that we sing on First Friday sometimes. And it says, you came to fix my broken life. God came to restore us and fix the broken areas of our life. And he's saying, I pray that your needs will be met. Pray. You pray that your needs will be met. I pray every day. Christine and I pray every day before we start our day. And we close out our day with prayer before we go to sleep. And we pray protection over our marriage, our home. Our family, pray protection over this church, the people of, of Life Fellowship. You guys need to be doing that too. And so when we're praying, we're acknowledging that God can meet our needs, and we're acknowledging the provider, the source of what we receive. We ask forgiveness from our debts or our trespasses as we choose 
to forgive those who trespass against us. We apologize to our spouse, friend, coworker, whoever, when we hurt them or make a mistake. Do you have a relationship with God where you ever apologize to him? Where you ever go to him and say, God, listen, I disobeyed. I know you were asking me to do this, and I did this. I do <laughs> on a regular basis. So we need to have that kind of relationship with the Lord because I know it breaks his heart when I disobey, and I disobey. All of us do. All of us disobey. And if you think about disobedience, say you have a, a child or a grandchild, and, and they do something in direct rebellion, direct disobedience to what you've asked them to do. And you've asked them not to do that. Why? Because you're a mean parent or grandparent? No, because it's not in their best interest. And so as we disobey, it has an impact in our relationship. You don't stop loving that child or that grandchild, but it may create a little bit of a problem in your relationship. You're hurt. You're wounded. And you're like, oh, I'm sorry. And you're like, you know, I'm really hurt that you did that. I'm really hurt. Just, I, I need some time. I forgive you, but I need some time to get over this thing. As we come to God and we disobey, he's much more gracious and loving than we are. It doesn't mean that he stops loving us. It does something in our relationship, probably more on our side than his. Have you ever done something where you knew that you hurt somebody and you felt terrible? And they're like, oh, it's okay. I understand. And you feel terrible? And that's how it is with the Lord sometimes, I think, is that we feel bad and, and we carry that around. But I love King David in the, in the Old Testament. He did some terrible things. But you know what? King David was always able to come back and ask forgiveness and go on and move on. He understood the magnitude of God's grace and forgiveness. We need to do that when we mess up. Just come to God and say, God, I messed up. And if you need to go to somebody and apologize and go do that, God doesn't stop loving us because we mess up. If that were true, he would have stopped loving all of us a long time ago. His grace and mercy goes beyond our failure to do what's right and obey all the time. So we ask forgiveness from our debts, and we choose to forgive those who have debts against us. That's another principle, forgiveness. Is some, and this series is not about forgiveness necessarily, but we need to forgive others. When you look at your life and all the things that you've been forgiven of, who are we not to extend forgiveness? So Jesus is teaching about forgiveness. He's saying receive forgiveness and also extend forgiveness. How good are you extending grace to others? You ever need any grace? <laughs> I remember one time I was driving in my car. It was down in Corpus, actually, and... I, I cut somebody off. I really didn't intend to. I was trying to squeeze in, but I, I really cut somebody off. And I'm like, I, you know, raised up my hand. I'm so sorry. I needed some grace. And so when I'm driving up here on 45, I, I need to probably think of that story a little more often. I need to be a little more gracious. If somebody's zooming up to try to cut over when they've known for a mile and a half they need to get in that lane. But anyway... We need grace, and we need to extend grace. We need to be forgiven, and we need to forgive those who have hurt us. In the next section here, Jesus is saying, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And I think sometimes when we read that, we may think of God sitting there on the throne. He's like, hey, come here. Come over here. Oh, come on. Ha, ha, they fell in a trap. 
No, that's not what the scripture's talking about. God is not leading us into temptation so that we can trip and fall into something. Let's look at this. I want to pause here for a moment. Let's go to James chapter 1. It's one of my favorite passages of scripture. James 1, 12 through 15. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Verse 13, and remember, when you are being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. I want to pause here for a moment. Testing, we are tested, and testing is good. What if you went to a class, and you went all semester and didn't have any pop quizzes or any tests or anything like that? You'd probably be going, yeah, I'm digging this. But how would you really know how well you're doing? And so the test at the end of the semester or the end of the year is an indication that you've been able to learn and comprehend the material. And not only does it help the teacher or professor know that they're being successful in teaching the material, it's also important for you to know how you're doing because you'd hate to get to the end of that class after putting all that time in and know that you failed. God will allow things into our life like I was talking about earlier, if we're trying to run with a bunch of stuff hanging off of us, God is wanting to remove all that stuff so that we can fulfill the great destiny. And so tests will come, but they're for our good. God does not tempt us, as we just read here. And remember, verse 13, and remember when you are being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Well, where does temptation come from? Let's look at verse 14. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. Temptations come from our own desires. Verse 15. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So it's a progression, and we've talked about this numerous times, that as we begin to sin, we begin to compromise, we begin to turn away from the things of God, all of a sudden we end up over here, it seems like. But it started way back here when we begin to compromise or when we begin to give in, whatever that may look like. And that is why we should hate sin. Not the sinner, okay, but hate the sin. Because sin destroys people's lives. Sin destroys people's marriages. It destroys families. It destroys our children. That's why God says, listen, these are the boundaries. Stay within the boundaries because it's good for you. It's, that's where there's safety. That's where there's protection. But when you begin to step out of those things, then you're stepping into an area where you could be damaged and hurt and wounded. It's not good for you. That's why God says, stay away from sin because he loves you that much. Are there people in your life that you love enough to say the hard things to? I don't know about you, but I, I don't like compromise, or not compromise. I don't like confrontation. I don't like compromise either. I don't like confrontation, but sometimes I confront people be, because I love them. It's not because I like to fight or confront things. And so do you love people in your life enough to confront them when they're doing stupid things or harmful things in love? I'm not talking about getting a baseball bat and beating somebody up. But that's how God loves us. And he says, listen, I love you enough to not let you step off into that ditch or get hurt. Because I want you to walk in the fullness of life. 
And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Pray that the Lord will protect you from even going to the places that you're weak. I've done that before. I've said, Lord, don't, don't even let that temptation or those things come across my path. Just block them out. Just cause something to, to happen that I'm not tempted because I know I'm weak. And so it may be a, a situation where you're driving, you've had a rough day, and you're driving by Specs Liquor. You know you're going to drive by there. And you're like, oh, God, please help me to be strong that I don't pull in there and buy a fifth of whiskey. And then maybe you get a phone call as you're about approaching the store, and you get distracted or whatever that may be. Or maybe there's somebody at work that's hitting on you, and you're like, hey, I'm married. You know, I, I, I don't want this. I, I don't want anything to do with an inappropriate relationship. But they keep hitting on you or whatever. And, and then maybe God promotes you and moves you out of that department, or maybe something happens. And so we need to be praying. God is not leading us into temptation. Temptation comes from our own carnal, fleshly desires. We can pray, God, take that thing away from me. Don't even let me come near that trap that I may run and step into it. Jesus is saying, pray that the Lord will protect you from even going to those places. Pray that God will intervene in the situation so that you're not tempted. Deliver us from evil. Don't allow evil to overtake us. Don't allow evil to even overtake us. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. And Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. He says here in verse 10, Now, final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. As we begin to understand who we are in Christ, and we begin to understand the power of God, we can stand and be strong. I've said to some of you, or I've, uh, someone has said to me, hey, what's going on, mighty man of God? And it's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I am mighty in the Lord. Hey, mighty woman of the Most High God, how are you doing today? And see, just by hearing that, by saying that, it, something happens in us. It's like, oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm not walking in my own power. I'm walking in the power of God that's much greater than me. It changes the way that we think. It changes our attitude. It changes our perspective. Oh, I can't do anything. But wait a minute. I can turn to my God who can do everything. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in not your, but his mighty power. Be strong in the mighty power of the Lord. Verse 11. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. Do you know that there's an enemy of our soul out there? I think it was last month the ambassadors, they learned about the armor of God. The things that I'm going to talk about this morning, they're already, they've already learned back there. We are pouring into your children so that there will be mighty men and women of God, mighty warriors, walking in the strength. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. What are the strategies of the devil? Let's look at verse 12. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in heavenly places. There are evil spirits. There are people that are doing wicked and evil things that are driven not by God, but by the enemy. I mean, I don't have to, to go there, but just think of all the things that have been going on the past few months in the, across the, the world. There is evil, and the Bible talks about in the end days, it's going to get worse. 
I hate to be the bearer of bad news and gloom and doom. Evil is going to continue to rise. And I remember there's a scripture that says, and they will call good evil and evil good. They will call good evil and evil good. And I thought, that's ludicrous. How could that ever happen? But I think we're seeing that today. People are saying, oh, well, that's evil. And it's really godliness. And so we're seeing a shift. If, if you've read in Ezekiel and Daniel and Revelation, um, it talks about the end times. And I'm no end time eschatology scholar or any of that. But it talks about the end times. And I think we are, we're definitely seeing prophecy fulfilled. What was talked about hundreds and thousands of years ago is being fulfilled. Will we see the second coming of the Lord? I don't know. I think it's possible. But it talks about the Antichrist. It talks about him setting himself up as God and all the things that will take place. And it, it, it's going to be a difficult time. But what we need to realize is that Knives and sticks and guns and those things don't defeat spiritual battles. Spiritual battles are won, I think, in two ways, by prayer and by praise. A couple of weeks ago, I shared with the, the Bible study that it was on a Wednesday night and a Thursday. I was under spiritual attack. I have never experienced that level of attack in my life. And all I could do was pray. And I felt like my prayers weren't even going past, you know, out of my mouth. That they were just hitting the ceiling and bouncing back. And I began to pray. And I began to fast and seek the Lord. I said, God, I cannot stay here. And um, so I fasted and prayed for a couple of days. And, and I, I said, God, I have to have a breakthrough. And I got a breakthrough, and it wasn't exactly what I was hoping for. I was hoping that some things, situations would change. That's what the Lord told me. He said, I can't be manipulated or coerced. You have to trust me. You have to trust me. That was my breakthrough. And I said, God, I'm sorry. I've not been trusting you. I've been trying to do all this on my own and trying to make all these things happen. So I just yield to you. And that was the answer for me. And it may be different for you. But my point is, is that sometimes we are under spiritual attack. Uh, Jason was here for that Bible study where I shared a little bit about that. And, and he called me up the next week. I hope you don't mind me sharing this, Jason. And he said, Pastor, he said, uh, I wasn't going to call you, but I thought about what you said on Wednesday. And you were talking about under attack. He said, I'm under attack really bad right now. And he was going to preach on Sunday. I said, well, okay. Yeah, I, I can see that. Uh, because he, he had a powerful message that the Lord wanted to share. And so the enemy is not going to attack those that, he, that are going down the path that, that he wants them to go down. I mean, if you're fighting the fight of faith, if you're doing something, that's when the enemy's going to come against you. And, and what I've experienced is that spiritual warfare and spiritual attack is really oppressive. It's almost depressing. I've come to recognize it because... I've been in spiritual warfare numerous times, and I recognize it. But it doesn't make it any easier. But what I found are the keys are prayer, and, the, and one of the things that's most powerful is praise. And that is the last thing I want to do. I, honestly, that's the last thing I want to do. But I will force myself to put on some praise and worship music and begin to worship God. And you know what happens? That thing will lift. That thing will go. 
You can walk in the power and the authority of God when we get our eyes off of our circumstance or the things that are going on around us and place our focus on him. God does something, not only in our life, but I think in the spiritual realm around us. What does it say here? For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Listen, I don't talk a lot about spiritual warfare, and, and I, you know, I don't want you to be paranoid and thinking there's a, you know, a demon behind every tree and none of that kind of stuff. Because listen, the, the word says that greater is he, greater is Christ in us than he who's in the world. So we, we have the power to overcome. It doesn't mean that we aren't in a battle. It doesn't mean that we don't have spiritual attack. And so I want you to be, I don't want you to be ignorant of these things. But I don't want you to be fearful either. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, dunamis, dynamite, supernatural power. So we can walk in the power and the authority of God. And we have great examples with Jesus. Jesus didn't have conversations with the, the demons. He said, get out, leave. <laughs> so if you ever run across a demon, don't converse with them. Just tell them to get out. You two things to remember. You can't save a demon and you can't cast out the flesh. If it's just your own fleshly desires, you, that's not a demon. That, that's just your own fleshly carnal desires. Okay, you understand? All right. We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So that's why we need to pray. That's why we need to praise. Because it does something in the heavenlies. Okay, verse 13. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. And I think it's the King James. It, it says, therefore stand. Yeah, that's it. Thank you. When you've done all to stand, when you've done all you can to stand, therefore stand. Okay, when you've done everything to stand, then stand. Take a stand. Don't back up. Thanks, Dave. So, therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will be standing firm. Standing firm. Not moved. Not pushed back. And then I'm not going to read all of this, but verses 14 through 17 talks about what is the armor of God? The belt of truth. The armor of God. The breastplate of righteousness that we have. The shoes of peace that come from the gospel of the good news. Holding up the shield of faith to deflect the fiery darts of the enemy. Put on the helmet of salvation. I just, we just taught a series on salvation. If you missed that, go back and listen to that. You need to know what salvation is. Put on the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is God's word. Paul is, is writing to the church of Ephesus, and he's saying, put on the armor of God. Know what the armor of God is. Know the word of God. Be prepared. Because there's a battle going on. He goes on to say in verse 18, Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. He's saying be persistent, be in prayer. And I'm going to talk about praying in the Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit praying through us. As we receive the Holy Spirit, we can pray, we connect with God on a greater level. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. There's an unseen battle all around us. God has provided the armor and protection we need to win. We just need to allocate those things. We need to walk in those things. Pray in the Spirit at all times on every occasion. Stay alert. Stay alert. 
and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Prayer and worship activate two of God's most powerful weapons. Spend time in prayer. Spend time in worship. We have a first Friday coming up in November. You should be here. We'll be spending time in prayer and worship. It's awesome. The presence of God is just here. You will get in your own zone and find that place of worship. So we pray that evil doesn't overtake us. Through God's power, we push back evil from our lives, our families, our church, our community. Listen, you are the desired prize. You are the created being of God, and God loves you. God wants to have a relationship with you, but it's not forced on us. It's a, a willful choice that we make. And the enemy hates God, and he hates us. And if he can destroy you, that's like a victory for him. And so you are the desired prize. Satan doesn't care about your home. He doesn't care about your car. He doesn't care about your material things. He cares about destroying your life. John 10.10 10. The thief's purpose, this is Jesus talking, he said, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose, Jesus said, is to give them, you, me, us, a rich and satisfying life. That's God's purpose, that we would walk in the fullness of life. The enemy has come to steal and kill and destroy. And you can look around you and you can see it happening. Maybe it happened in your own life at some point in time. But you finally woke up and said, God, I need a Savior. And he rescued you and he saved you. And it began to start that process of working in your life and telling you, you know what, that rejection you're dealing with, that hurt, that pain, I can, I can bring healing to that. I can restore you back to the way that, that you were supposed to be living. I can take all that away from you. God's greatest desire is that we have a life of victory over the traps of the enemy and experience much more than material items that satisfy our desires. God's interested in much more than those things. You know, God blesses us with those things, but those things aren't really that important to him. I mean, he blesses us because we desire those things. We need those things. But if we connect with him on a greater level, that's what he's looking for. And then Jesus finishes up the prayer with, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. This Greek word for power is our favorite power word, dunamis. God's supernatural, miraculous, dynamite working power that we have access to. Jesus taught us to pray like this. His example of prayer ends with acknowledging God's kingdom, God's power, God's authority, God's glory forever and ever. Lord, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for your great power. I thank you that we can yield our life to you, submit our life to you, and know that you will take care of things. It doesn't always happen in the manner in which we think it should happen or the timing that we think it should happen. But Lord God, help us to trust you with more, with greater, knowing that you, you love us and we're forever yours. And the mistakes we've made, the times we've disobeyed, you still love us. Help us to understand and grasp that.